This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1. We looked at this a couple of weeks back. Ephesians chapter 1, it says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Folks, that cannot possibly be true unless Jesus finished the work. If there is any part of the work of, of, of the payment for spiritual death left undone, there is no way he could bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. If anything's left that physical death and us going to heaven it will accomplish, or if anything's left that, that getting our redeemed bodies in the rapture is going to accomplish, then he would have said he was, he has blessed us with a lot of spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, but not all. Cause there's still things to come. That's not what it says. It says he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That means the price has been paid, the work has been finished. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that doesn't mean before Adam and Eve, that means before God made the heaven and the earth. As he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God decided before he ever made the earth, before he ever made the angels, before he ever made the universe, He decided, I'm going to create a people that are going to be holy and without blame because I love them. The next word, the next verse, having predestinated us under the adoption of sons. What does that mean? That means this was what God predestined you. You hear a lot of talk about predestination. Well, what is predestination all, all about? As far as the Bible is concerned, predestination is God predestined you to be righteous. Now, whether you, are, whether you are or not depends on whether you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But God predestined mankind to be righteous. It's not his choice anymore. He made his choice. Notice it said he chose us. The question is, do we choose him? And nothing God can do can change your choice. You choose. You've been given authority. But he chose you to be holy and without blame before him in love. Now hold your finger. We're going to go to chapter 5. Well, turn to chapter 5 and hold your finger here. And then turn with me over to Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see two verses of scripture real quick together. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Here's this mutual exchange. He brought you together because Jesus died. He became Sin for us. Sin, literally spiritual death. And you hath he reconciled. How? In the body of his flesh, through death. Again, he's not talking about physical death alone. He's talking about spiritual death. In the body of his flesh, through death, for what purpose? To present you holy and unblameable. The word unblameable is the same word without blame in chapter 1 of Hebrew of, of uh, Ephesians. What is it? Ephesians 1, 4, 5, something like that. Same phrase. Paul's talking about the same phrase. God predestinated you to be holy and without blame before him in love. How did he do that? How did he bring that about? By the death of Jesus. Not his physical death on the cross alone. That was important. But it's also through his spiritual death, the three days he spent in hell paying the price for sin. Singular. Literally spiritual death. To present you... Holy and unblameable and unreprovable. I like the word unreprovable. It means without accusation. Folks, let me tell you something. When you accept that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I don't mean mentally, but I mean it really dawns on the heart. 
when it becomes real in your spirit, there's no accusation Satan can make. Yeah, but you messed up. Yeah, but I'm righteous. How does he answer that? Well, you can't be righteous. If you were righteous, you wouldn't do the stuff you did. Well, sure. That doesn't change the fact that I've been made righteous. Righteousness is not an experience. It's a condition. Folks, I've got a spiritual condition. I've got a heart condition. That heart condition is righteousness. And nothing the devil does, nothing that I do can change that. That condition will last throughout eternity. And what if you stumble and fall? Then I confess my failure. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm still righteous. So where's Satan's accusation? What's he going to say? Oh, you, you messed up and didn't confess that? Oh, thanks for reminding me. Father, forgive me. Really? You think he wants to get in that conversation with you? There's no accusation. Unreprovable, without accusation. In his sight. Now turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Notice it tells us the work of Jesus. Verse 26, it says that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. To what end? What is the purpose for us being washed, cleansed? He's not talking about cleansed spiritually. We're already saved. Cleansing has to do with the renewing of the mind. It has to do with thinking right thoughts. The point is, the washing of the water is supposed to cleanse your thinking. So that you think right according to the word of God. To think according to righteousness instead of unrighteousness. To think according to life instead of death. To think according to health instead of sickness. To think abundance instead of lack. That's what the washing of the water with the word is supposed to be. That's why the word of God is something that we're supposed to meditate on. To cleanse our thinking, literally change our thinking, to think in line with what God says. Verse 26. That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word to this end. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Blemish is the same word blame. Holy and without blame before him in love. Three times the Bible says that God intends and is predestined for you to be holy and without blame. The work of Jesus has presented you or provided for you to be holy and without blame. And the washing of the word, the renewing of the mind is to present you a life that is exemplified in righteousness, holy and without blame. God must be serious about this stuff, folks. Jesus not only did it, but he gave us the word so that we'd know, so that we'd walk in it, we'd live it. Turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 54. Verse 14 is really where I want to start, but I like verse 13, so I'm going to read it. It says, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Let me, let me speak to the parents for, here for a second. This does not say all your children shall be taught about the Lord. It's a good thing to teach your kids about the, God, about the Lord. But that's not what it says. It says all your children shall be taught of the Lord. In other words, we do our part to tell our kids about the Lord, to raise them up, to train them up in the way they should go. But the Bible says some of them are going to depart, but they'll come back. Proverbs is kind of, really is not a good translation. It says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when he's depart, when he's old, he shall not depart from it. That's not what it says. It says, and if he departs, he'll return. 
See, a lot of parents have kids that have departed from the Lord and they're thinking, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? Nothing. If you taught them about Jesus, if you put them on the right path, some kids just find out the hard way. But they will return. Here, this says, and all your children shall be taught of the Lord. That means God does the teaching. Now, you may be in a situation where your kids, teenagers, young adults, whatever they are, they're out there and you're concerned about them and you're thinking, well, Lord, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Confess this scripture over them. Say, thank you, Lord, that you're teaching my kids. And don't believe that false front they put on saying everything's great. You know that when they lay down at night, God attacks them. Because your kids are taught of the Lord. And all your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Here's the result of being taught of the Lord. My confession about my kids is they wind up in great peace because God teaches them. Now, I'm going to do my part and teach them this idea that I've just turned them over to the Lord. Well, unless they're adults, you can't turn them over to the Lord. They're your responsibility. But once they are adults, if they go out on their own way, I can trust God to get get them and bring them back. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Here's why the Word of God is the power of God, because it reveals God's will. When you can find God's words on a subject, whether it's healing, whether it's finances, whether it's peace, whatever area you have need of, you find what God's Word says, you've just found God's will in that area. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. Okay, verse 14. In righteousness shalt thou be established. The word established means to stand upright and to stand firm. It literally means to be unmovable. In righteousness you shall be unmovable. If you're not unmovable, folks, let me clue you in. It's because you don't understand the righteousness of God that you've been made. If you're being shaken by finances or the lack thereof, if you're being shaken by sickness, if you're being shaken by any attack of the devil, it's because you don't know who you are in Christ. Now, you can fix that, but only you can. In righteousness thou shalt be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression. That means pressure. Folks, when you know who you are in Christ, when you begin to walk in who you are in Christ, being made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, life's fun. Doesn't mean you don't have challenges. Doesn't mean you don't have things come against you. But you've got the answer. You've got the victory. And even if the victory is slow in coming or seems to be slow in coming, you can enjoy the ride. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. God said over and over again, I'm with you. Don't be afraid of who's against you. Paul said it this way. If God be for us, who can be against us? Brother Hagin used to quote that and say, I always like to say it like this. If God be for me, who do I care is against me? What does it matter? That's true. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. And from terror, thou shalt be far from terror, for it shall not come near thee. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a terrorism scripture here. 
Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. That means oppression will come, but it won't take hold of me. Terror may come, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Here's God speaking to you and for you. Whoever gathers together against you, they'll fall. Oh, it just looks like so many things are coming against me. Don't worry. It'll all fall. Verse 16. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waste to destroy. You know what that means? There's no way you could know what that means from that verse. Thank you, King James translators. You know what they got from this? Literally, you know why the translators did what they did? Because their one thought is God creates the waster to destroy. Can I read this to you from the Septuagint? That's the Bible of Jesus' day. Verse 16. Behold, I have created thee, not as the coppersmith blowing coals and bringing out a vessel fit for work, but I have created thee, not for ruin that I should destroy thee. Now, of course, you understood that from the King James, right? (laughs) Folks, translations are not always anointed. The word is God's original plan, God's original thought, his original voice is anointed. And what is he saying? He's saying, I'm the one that created thee. That's why everybody that gathers against you will fall. I created you. Not like a coppersmith would use a a blacksmith's tool and, and hammer out something with his hands. I created you. The implication is, because I created you, who can destroy you? I'm certainly not going to do it, God said. I didn't create you for ruin. What did he create you for? He created you for victory. He's going to point that out in the next verse, verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Now, here's how we read this. Some weapons that are formed against us won't prosper. No. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. Now, this is the context that God's talking about. He's saying, I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that took care of you. I'm the one that looks out after you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Well, if sickness is coming against you, is it going to work? Is it going to win? If poverty is coming against you, is it going to win? No weapon formed against you. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, the doctor says this is something he's never seen before. No weapon. Formed against you shall prosper. Yeah, but I've just never been attacked like this before. Well, that's why he said no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He didn't say no weapon that you've experienced before will prosper. He said no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Folks, do you realize that if the Bible means what it says, there is nothing the devil can do to overtake you. But remember, that's part of reigning in life. It all comes down to the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. Finished work of Jesus. You taking hold of those things. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall come against thee shall rise against thee in judgment. You shall condemn. Sounds like you've got a part in that. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Now, can I ask you who that was written to? Anybody want to take a guess at that? Who's this written to? Wasn't it written to Israel? 
Hello? Wasn't it written to Israel? Wasn't Isaiah a prophet to Israel? Yeah, but this belongs to the church. No, it doesn't. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Are you a servant? The Bible says you're a son. This is what belonged to those that served God under the law. This is what belonged to God whose righteousness was imputed year by year by year by year by year through the day of atonement, the keeping of the sacrifice. And under that system, God said, nobody can take you away from me. Nobody can bring destruction on you because I'm on your side. You shall be established in righteousness, unmovable, Because of my righteousness, the righteousness that is of me, that comes year by year by year by year as you keep the day of atonement sacrifice. Do you do that? Any of you raising a lamb for this year's sacrifice? Thank God we don't have to. This is not for you. This was for them. Now, it shows us the the principle. It shows us the attitude of God. And I love the fact that God is saying, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me. Now, how could they be righteous? How could God impute righteousness to them even one year at a time? They were spiritually dead. How is it possible? These people were sinning constantly. Didn't even care. Because they were making sacrifices all over the place. Their life was one big sacrifice. The whole law was to, to, to show them that your life revolves around sacrifices at the temple. Everything was about it. How long did you, they didn't go a week without having to offer another sacrifice? Some of it was blood, some of it was meal, some of it was grain and different stuff like that, but there's always a sacrifice. I mean, your calendar is filled with gotta to go to the temple and sacrifice today. The whole purpose was to show them, to prove to them your life is surrounded or your life surrounds a sacrifice. And without that, you are toast. So what did they do? They lived their lives. Maybe tried to keep the law some. Some not so much. Knowing full well that they had righteousness coming to them on the Day of Atonement. All they had to do was offer the sacrifice. Here's the point I'm trying to get to. Those that had a promise of the Messiah and kept the law because of it, which was what the law of Moses was all about. The sacrifices were all pointing to the one to come. Everybody understood that. They may not have understood how all of it tied together, but everybody under the law of Moses understood that it was pointing to the Messiah. Someday a Messiah is coming and we won't have to do this stuff anymore. Everybody understood that. Rabbis were real clear about teaching that. Those that had a promise of the Messiah had the blessing of righteousness and therefore victory. That's why when Jesus was here on the earth as a righteous man, a man without sin, he was simply able to take those that believed on him, believed that he was the Messiah and delegate authority to them. He gave his disciples power over sickness and disease. How in the world could they have power over sickness and disease? There was not a righteous part of them. They were under the law of Moses. Not really too great about keeping it. That was one of the the complaints about the religious leaders of the day. Look at your disciples. They don't keep the law of Moses. Jesus said, they're sticking with me. And what did they get for sticking with him? 
power over sickness and disease, power to cast out devils. They got signs and wonders and miracles in their lives. Now, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 came to Jesus and said, Master, we know you come from God because nobody can do the miracles you do unless God be with him. So what does that tell us? That tells us when the disciples were doing signs and wonders and miracles, healings and, and getting people delivered from the power of the devil, they were doing miraculous things too because God was with them. How in the world could God be with them? They weren't righteous. There was nothing about them that was righteous. What did Jesus say? He said, whosoever believeth on me hath eternal life. The fact that they were willing to follow him and believe in him gave them power before his sacrifice was ever made, gave them power over sickness and disease and the devil. If you can have that just by believing in Jesus when he was here on the earth before he made the sacrifice, what do you think is available for those that have accepted Jesus after the sacrifice is made? And now it's not just a promise of righteousness to come, but we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not what Israel had. It's not just no weapon formed against thee shall prosper because I'm giving them righteousness based on a yearly plan. No, now we've been made righteous. You think that would be less victory, less dominion than they had as servants or more? Here's the bottom line. A redemption that does not restore man back to his original dominion And fellowship with God and make them sons of God is not worthy of the sacrifice Jesus made. And that's exactly what you have. You have restored dominion. You have fellowship with God. And you are now the sons of God. Now when God says the righteousness is of me, he doesn't have to declare it as giving it to us year by year or installments in installments. Now he declares it. Just as I've made my son righteous because he paid the price for death and sin, so have I made them righteous. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace, the finished work of Jesus, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you'll feel like you've got dominion. And that's what we all look for. And folks, I'm I'm so ashamed of myself No matter how long I preach this, no matter how many years I've been doing this, no matter how real it is to me, it'll be more real tomorrow than it is today. But still, we all are subject to looking for feelings. Last Sunday night, I did this very thing. I'm I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I got to tell you. Last Sunday night, we had a lady come to uh, healing school. She must have been in her 80s. Sweet little lady, beautiful woman. She and her husband had been in the ministry for many years, and he had uh, since gone home to be with the Lord. And she's blind in her right eye. She came up, and the, the only way I guess how old she is is there was a, a lady that was with her that was helping her. She was holding on to her elbow. She came up, and she said, uh, uh, and we were teaching on faith in the name of Jesus. Didn't lay hands on anybody. Didn't have a healing line. That really ticks a lot of people off when they come to healing school. They're expecting I'm going to do something, and I teach them how to believe God. But anyway, she came up after the service. And uh, and so she told me the story. She said, I'm blind in my right eye. She started to cry and all this kind of stuff. Talked to her a little bit about faith, just real short. She said, I've always believed God in healing. I said, well, that's great. You're believing God in a general way. Now let's believe God specifically. What does the Bible say about blind eyes? So we, I reminded her of some scriptures that the Bible says about Jesus bringing recovering of sight to the blind, that kind of stuff. She said, I had I'd forgotten that. 
So I just gave her, you know, 45 seconds worth of the Bible. And so I laid hands on her and I said, all right, now here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to command your eye to be opened. I said, uh, your job is to believe God for that healing. I said, now, it may happen instantly. But I said, if it doesn't, it doesn't change what you're supposed to believe. And I explained about confessing, continuing to say, I believe I received my healing. So I laid hands on a sweet little old lady. Laid my hands on her right here. Just laid my hands on her. Step back, said a simple prayer, commanded to be open in the name of Jesus. Step back. She stood there for about a minute. She's just kind of looking. I'm kind of looking. She's crying a little bit. And so then I said, uh, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look over on that wall. I want you to read what's on the wall over there. Cover your good eye. So she did. She covered her good eye and she looked over there. Another 30, 40 seconds went by, something like that. Seemed like a long time. I'm just standing there grinning at her. She looks back at me like, you're going to do something else? You know? I'm thinking, hey, I've done my part. This is God's deal now. So she stands there. After about 30 or 45 seconds, she starts reading the, the she reads the first word home off that, off that thing. Then she starts crying. Oh, she starts crying. And I said, stop crying and read. God already knows you cry. Read. So she stood there and for another 30 or 45 seconds went by. Then she started reading the rest of it. And then she came undone. She came undone. So I said, all right, let me ask you a question. Do I understand that you couldn't have done that when she came in? She said, oh, no, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see anything. Well, her eye opened up. And then I told her, you don't have to take my word for it. There were ushers standing around, other people standing around, too. They saw the same thing. Everybody was listening. I told her, I said, now you keep confessing, saying when I said, I believe I receive healing for my eye in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that I'm healed. You keep confessing that, your eye will get better and better and better every day. You'll get to the place where you're there, you're, the sight in this eye will probably be better than the other eye. She said, do you really think so? And I said, no, I don't think so. I know so. She walked away, and I'm thinking, praise God, that's a miracle. And I didn't feel a thing. See, we're all looking to feel something. Now, folks, I'm just as natural as you are. I want there to be lightning when I lay hands on somebody. <laughs> I want people to say, wow, look at him. We all want that. When we say, Satan, I take authority over you, we want to feel it. Yeah! That's not the way it works. It doesn't work by feeling. It works simply by doing from your heart what the Bible says do. You have authority over sin, sickness, and poverty. Already, you've already been freed from those things. You have authority over it. It's up to you to exercise that authority. Don't look for a feeling when you do it. Now, you can work yourself up into a lather and do it with a lot of gusto, and that's not going to make any difference. Because what you feel about it or what you don't feel about it doesn't make a bit of difference in the world. It's the exercise of the authority that we have because we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. When we were born again by the precious blood of Jesus, we were born into eternal life. That means the power of sin and sickness and death was broken over our lives. God expects us to walk in that authority, walk in that dominion, so that we live free from sin, so that we live free from all the effects of spiritual death. Use that dominion in the name of Jesus. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. What do you see? 
So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And they've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.